0: Blog Talk Radio Our guest this morning is my partner in Liberty, Tamara Colbert, who's the co-director in Texas. She is also the national media liaison for Convention of States Project, and she is going to fill us in on news from around the nation on the Convention of States Project.
1: Thanks, Paul. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I, I think there's a couple of really key things that we saw this week happening around the country related to Convention of States and in the middle of our legislative season. And one that was highly disturbing came from what? West Virginia, their House Judiciary Committee, where our resolution, we had a majority of votes ready to go to get out of committee, and we saw an interesting moment of political game playing with our resolution by committee members, and committee members who actually wanted to promote the BBA instead of Convention of state, And so what's disturbing is the fact that Convention of States in West Virginia has thousands and thousands of West Virginians who have been actively walking the halls. In fact, we had almost Forty West Virginians represented sitting there watching the the committee hearing, some that had testified the day before on behalf of Convention of States and the resolution. Well what happened is as we are getting to the vote, how is the committee gonna vote to get it to the floor? The committee pulled some big shenanigans by taking a voice vote to defeat SCR ten when the House rules require a recorded vote and we have it all recorded so the resolution for convention of states in West Virginia was killed even though it was supported by a majority a clear majority of committee members and we have the audio to prove that and then we have pressed the Speaker of the house to actually require the committee to go back and do a recorded vote and they're refusing to do it so here's what we're seeing even at the state level with legislators refusing to do what the will of the people, thousands of petitions, thousands of West Virginians, an overwhelming two-thirds majority of passage in the Senate in West Virginia, and we had the numbers on the Judiciary Committee, but had a couple of people playing games to prevent us working in cahoots with the BBA to prevent the Convention of States resolution from getting passed to the floor, knowing we would have passed successfully on the floor. So again, one or two people being able to stall us and block us. There's just a lot of things happening, but I think it leads into what we're here to talk about today, that people, Paul, are there. fearful. They are literally terrified to use the Constitution. We need to rethink about, rethink those folks that we are electing, even at the state level.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Tamara, and you're right. That is what we're here to talk about this morning. I I woke up Wednesday morning, and I always cruise through Facebook, and I saw a post from Mike Ferris, who's the head of our project, and the the tenor, the tone of that post was was different, and I knew that there were things going on around the nation, and I could tell from what he had written that our approach is going to change. I suspect, and and we anticipate that. He wrote a post called The Deadly Cost of Fear. We have slides up, and we're going to go through some of them fairly quickly, and and they're mostly for information that people can go back and look at. Uh, But we want to dive then into the content of that post and and what it means, and what it means for us going forward. He brings up a date, June twenty second, 1988, and really a watershed moment for constitutional conservatives, because at that point in time, there was a movement afoot, actually two separate movements afoot, for Convention of States for two different reasons. There were 19... Applications for a convention to reverse Roe versus Wade, and there were 32 applications available to require a balanced federal budget. They, they were two states away from convening a, a convention. And that date is important because that's when former. Supreme Court Chief Justice Warren Berger wrote a letter to Phyllis Schlafly, President of the Eagle Forum. She she was then. She still is. And the contents of that letter, I, I put several quotes here on the first slide. A quote, such a convention would be a grand waste of time. Another quote, there is no effective way to limit or muzzle the actions of a constitutional convention. The convention could make its own rules and set its own agenda. And then another one, after a convention is convened, it will be too late to stop the convention if we don't like its agenda. There's no supporting argumentation or citations for any of those statements you No way to to muzzle or, or limit the actions. They could make their own rules. There's no mention of ratification process, right? It's too late to stop it. None in that letter. It's just taken at face value. So who is Warren Burger, this Chief Justice? He'd been nominated by Richard Nixon, served from 1969 to 1986. He was replacing Chief Justice Earl Warren, who was an activist judge. And the expectations were that he was going to reverse what was a very activist court under Justice Earl Warren. But that didn't end up being the reality. In fact. Quickly, there was a a ruling which was unanimous to support busing in the Swan versus Charlotte-Mecklenburg Board of Education case. That's what we would now refer to as social engineering on the part of the federal government. Now that uh, was related uh, to bussing, correct? Yes, yes. I think that was buzzing. related a to unanimous. Bus- a unanimous decision mm-hmm. by the court, 9 to 0. Yep. Uh, another big ruling early on in, in that court was it was 5 to 4 even though Berger dissented and I remember this one living in California because we had some pretty uh, famous people up for a death penalty, but it invalidated all death penalty laws that were enforced at the time. And then finally the big one which which we will reference multiple times here this morning is Roe versus Wade, a 7 to 2 ruling which granted the broad right to privacy which ended up prohibiting states from banning abortion. And right. Warren Berger was on the was on the side of the majority in that. He concurred with the majority opinion in allowing abortion and permitting and legalizing abortion throughout our nation. Uh, for yes. those who don't know who Phyllis Schlafly is, she's a lifelong conservative activist. She had a short-time membership in the John Birch Society. She left because she had some disagreements on where the communist threat was, whether it be internal or external. She founded a group, Eagle Trust Fund, and then in 1972, she founded the Stop ERA, movement, and this is where Article 5 enters into the picture. There was a movement to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, which had been proposed by Congress and sent out with a seven-year time frame. She formed a group which then morphed into the Eagle Forum in 1975. Now, one of the arguments she made, and it was very prescient, she said, quote, the ERA would lead to women being drafted by the military and to public unisex bathrooms. And here we are in 2016. Here we are. And what what have we? we have that. that. was we have that even without having the ERA passed. Uh, that's where culturally we have gone, and the battles we are now fighting. So she is a woman who was who very prescient and understood where these would lead, and she fought the battle against the ERA. And experts agree that her group, the Eagle Forum, and that she they were instrumental in stopping the ratification of the ERA.
1: And let us be they clear, are because um, Convention of States co-founder Michael Ferris actually worked with Phyllis. He was uh, one of the key litigators in yes. with Phyllis. At the Supreme Court level Litigating against the ERA So this is yes. how Mike Ferris And Phyllis Schlafly Come into play And Mike Ferris Being the co-founder Of the Convention of States Project So it's it's all a very interesting Kind of mix we have going on It, it,
0: it is an interesting mix And it's it, it, what makes Mike's post I know it was very difficult For him to have to write that That group, the, the Eagle Forum Has always been strong Pro-life advocates And that also makes For another interesting mix When we discuss their relationship With that letter from Warren Burger uh, How about the John Burke Society, they've been around for a long time, since 1958. They're an advocacy group. They uh, support anti-communism and limited government, which all sounds great. Their first president was Robert W. Welch, Jr. Their second president was Larry McDonald. Their current president is John McManus. As far back as 1962, William F. Buckley, Jr. denounced them as being quote, far removed from common sense, unquote, there was an amendment, a constitutional amendment that had been drafted in 1944, which they supported. In fact, they supported the use of Article 5, the Convention of State. That amendment was called the Liberty Amendment. In fact, it would be germane under our application of Convention of State. It sought to vastly restrict federal authority. There were several bullet points in there on the subject matter, and it sought specifically to repeal the 16th Amendment, the income tax. And it had some traction. It already had nine states in the early 1960s that had passed that amendment. Their current president back just last year in May, he claimed that John Birch Society has never supported the Convention of States, even though, and we've put it in our attribution in our our backslide, attribution that both the first president and second president strongly supported using the Convention yes, of process to pass that Liberty Amendment specifically. Tampa and I believe Mike Larry Harris
1: McDonald said. is actually re- in the congressional record standing before Congress talking about the
0: Liberty yes, Amendment, yes.
1: and it, he's yes, there. He so there is a lot of background information that can, it can show how far out of touch and fringe the John Birch Society, really has gotten from its founders and first couple of presidents?
0: Okay, Mike Ferris, some quick background on him. He's a constitutional attorney. He's the founder and president of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, which basically had two functions, to provide legal retainer services to protect homeschoolers and to work with all 50 state legislatures to legalize homeschooling, and and that's been done. He's the founder and president of Patrick Henry College. But as Tamara mentioned earlier, one of the things which is little known about him was that originally he got his, his big start as an article 5 litigator and and we've got a to- A link to actually a newspaper article from March 19, 1979. The litigation that was going on for the state of Washington, they had ratified the ERA, but they were just now three days away from that expiring. Congress had put a time limit of seven years on it in 1972. And the argument that Mike Ferris was presenting and the state of Washington was really threefold. One, that their ratification was going to expire in three days, regardless of what Congress had done a year earlier in 1978, which says, we want to extend it three years. So they wanted the courts to affirm that you can't change the rule. And there was one other thing. They wanted to also affirm that states could rescind their ratification. And that's important. So there were three things that were fought by Mike Ferris back in the late 70s and into the early 80s. And he won on all counts of those. It was ruled that Congress cannot change the rules of a ratification and obviously even of an application such as ours. There's always fights to rescind applications for a convention. If you can't change the rules. You can go ahead and rescind. And once the process has started, you can't change it. And that was a victory. It went to the Supreme Court court it was never uh, actually ruled on there but there were briefs filed at the Supreme Court level but it made it yeah. to federal court and was upheld. Uh, so that's kind of what Tamara was alluding to that Mike Ferris and Phyllis Schlafly have been close friends for decades and they still speak regularly and we're going to dive into his post a bit now because he mentions Phyllis and uh, I know that pained him to have to, to have to name names but yeah. he brought up and, and his post is called The Deadly Cost of Fear and he wants to really illustrate strongly, shine a light on the consequences of actions that you have when you react out of fear. And he brings up two specific examples of abuse of federal authority, and and we've already alluded to the majority opinion in Roe v. Wade. It legalized the killing of millions of babies since 1973, but since that date, June 22, 1988, over 21 million babies have been deliberately killed in the womb, and and he states that in his post. And then we look at the debt in our nation. $19 trillion is the official number, you know, the cash flow number, but you hear, anybody who knows general accounting principles, we've seen the figures anywhere from 140 to $210 trillion in unfunded liabilities. Well, Even just that first number, $19 trillion is greater than our annual gross domestic product, but that big number and even the, the current number, it obligates future generations, our children and grandchildren, to pay for votes today, and, and Mike is very clear that that's really what it comes down to. Well,
1: and, and I want to add numbers, one thing. Also, uh, Senator Tom Coburn, who's a senior advisor to the Convention of States, just this week in several media interviews was talking about the fact that the, if you add our current debt and the unfunded liabilities every single American owes right now 1 million dollars to the federal government as of right yep. now that's immoral
0: it is we fought a uh, a revolutionary war and one of the one of the bullet points in the Declaration of Independence is taxation without representation and for our children and grandchildren they are being taxed without even being able to say anything about it unborn are being taxed before they're even brought into this world and it is immoral it is- is robbing them of their due process and their property rights. and again since June 22nd 1988 that letter from Earl Warren the debt has increased the official debt by $16.6 trillion imagine where we would be if we'd been able to to hold the federal government to a balanced budget back in the late 80s Uh, but that did not occur because at that point in time the strategy halted that momentum for Convention of States and the Eagle Forum headed by Phyllis Schlafly they began citing Justice Berger's letter as an expert opinion on the need to rescind states calls for an Article 5 Convention of States we're talking about even pro-life states, Idaho, Utah, rescinding their applications to call for an Article 5 convention to reverse Roe v. Wade. And it's happening even now. In this past week, as Mike put in his post, uh, the ACLU and other leftist organizations, they also referenced Justice Berger's letter to oppose the convention of states' applications. And their testimony ends up being no different than that of the Eagle Forum or the John Birch Society in states like Utah and South Carolina. So, and I highlighted on the slide, uh, on slide seven, that the Eagle Forum, a staunchly pro-life organization, has purposely and deliberately relied on the opinion of a Supreme Court Chief Justice who presided over and concurred with the majority opinion in Roe v. Wade. They used that back in the 80s to fight reversing Roe v. Wade, and they continue to use it to fight any attempt to rein in the federal government using the Convention of State mode of Article 5.
1: Well, so I think, uh, and Paul, just- then there needs to, there then people need to ask why. Why? That, that really... Really is the question that is in my mind. Why does the Eagle Forum and why does Phyllis Schlafly refuse to follow the Constitution? Because you cannot pick and choose what parts of the Constitution you believe in or you follow. You either accept the Constitution or you don't. It's very similar to how Christians, you either accept the Bible or you don't. Because even Bill O'Reilly says, I only believe in the New Testament. I don't believe in the Old Testament. And I just find that odd. So he's willing to throw out all of historical documentation of the Abramaic promise that the Lord gave us in order to say, I'm only going to believe this. Well, how can Phyllis Schlafly only believe in part of the Constitution and have any authority or credibility with Eagle Forum supporters. It's really beyond me. And I think we've reached a point, unfortunately, with many nonprofit organizations and many organizations, for that matter, where the figurehead or the founder is starting to become so iconic that it's almost idolatry. And I think this is where we're at in terms of Eagle Forum, because what we've seen in multiple state legislatures is that Eagle Forum representatives, their rallying cry now isn't what's best for the people or what's best for America or American survival. They are actually using in arguments with our people and in front of legislators and in backroom deals, mind you, as we've been told by legislators directly in in multiple states, that you can't quote, you cannot embarrass Phyllis and support Article Five. And so, what yes. we're seeing happen now is this idolatry of Phyllis Schlafly, and that either way you look at, it, any way you look at it, that's really not good for a sustainable, long-term vision for an organization.
0: Yes, and uh, you know that segues really into the next slide and and some other points this is an argument I make, is that any time you say that you trust a document, be it the Bible or the Constitution as authority, and then you interpret something but don't follow this part of it, you're really now the authority, not the document itself. And, you know, you mentioned Bill O'Reilly with, has his interpretation of the Bible, just the New Testament. You do that with the Constitution, and this is an argument they'll make. It's, it's a very illogical argument. They'll say, we, we love the Constitution, we don't want to touch it, and by the way, don't follow this part of it. That really distills what the exactly. argument ends up being. A- and it's They don't even see that And that uh, On the next slide It's one of the things That bothers me the most And it really It distresses me Because in a lot of ways There are some really Really good folks In these organizations But legal and historical precedent To the contrary They're not given consideration There's a distinct lack Of intellectual curiosity And that's the Mm -hmm. phrase I have to use And that's There's no intellectual curiosity To investigate And let me give an example We have two very strong proponents For Article 5 now Professor Rob Nadelson And Mark Levin And they both components of article 5 until they investigated. Rob Nadelson said at the, I believe it was the last Alec meeting, he said, I believe he used the word, he's ashamed of what he used to believe about it. And uh, I know that we sat at a table where Mark Meckler was relaying his conversation he had with Mark Levin, and Mark Levin said to him, do you remember what I said about this this idea to you five years ago or whenever? And and Meckler said, yeah, I know, you said you didn't like it. And Levin corrected him and said, no, I told you it was crap. And then Mark said, "Levin, Levin said, but I was wrong. Once they investigated, and you know, there's so much material available now online to look at source documents that there's no reason to not know what's happening And the next slide is really from our own can experience can
1: I add one thing Paul I actually Absolutely. think what's really, Im- what's really important here is there is a huge number of Americans and the reason they revere and respect. Back the Constitution. It's almost a similar reverence to why we revere the Bible and looking at biblical principles to lead us in our own life, our personal life, our family life. And if you look at Second Timothy one seven, it says, for the Spirit God gave us, not to make us timid, but to give us power, love, and self-discipline. And for me personally, when I think about uh, getting involved with the Convention of States project, and you and I were within weeks apart from getting involved, so you, myself, and several others of our executive team have been here almost for the, the entire three years. This September will be three years that we've been working on this. Well, why is that? Because when we look from a common sense perspective, we intellectually, all of us started investigating it. We read the Liberty Amendments. We started looking at Rob Nadelson's research and we thought, oh, this is it. This is the intellectual way to defeat the progressive and socialist movement in America. We don't have to go to a revolution or think about violence in the streets when we have a constitutional solution that our founding fathers put in this beloved document that has been the rule of law for the United States, which is the longest sustaining constitution for any single nation in the history of the world. So if we look at that precedent alone, and we have that faith in the document in our founders being divinely inspired to put it together and with our nation founded on the this judeo-christian bedrock then why in the world would we even doubt or hesitate or use fear instead of being bold in approaching a real solution to put the power back in the hands of the people and i think actually taking the power from the Groups like Eagle Form and John Birch, that's where the biggest issue lies, and that's why they are fighting and, so hard against us. Yes,
0: uh, yes, I agree. And, and now we talk about fear, and that's the real fear they have. They're, their fear is they're going to lose the power they've got, not yes. fear of what the convention's going to do. They, they have a fear that they're no longer going to be the power players. We invite them to join with us. They, they would be terrific partners to have. I want to get back again to the idea of intellectual curiosity. One of the things one of my pastors says, and I've known him for 30 years, and it's great, he, he will say this from time to time, when when you come into church and sit down, do not check your brain at the door. And what he's telling us is don't even take from the pulpit, just on face value. Investigate. Right. Be like the Bereans. Investigate the scriptures. And that's what we ask our friends to do. Investigate the documentation yes. that's out there. There's a lot of it. I'm going to give the example from our own experience here in Texas and our friend Pat Carlson with the Texas Eagle Forum. At the uh, select committee last February, she was asked by Vice Chair Paul Workman, it is the easiest anticipate sure. question you're going to get if you're in the opposition, which is, why do you think the founders put that in the Constitution to begin with if it was such a dangerous thing? And her answer, and I went and looked at the tape and I put the quote down, the first words out of her mouth were, I suspect. You know, she also said, I don't know for yes. sure. Right. I believe that's something I have read. Well, you don't have to guess on this. The documentation is there. And why? And all the founders wrote about
1: their entire experience during the Constitution yes. Convention. So we know what's there already.
0: And if you are the hand-picked person to represent the Eagle Forum in Texas to oppose this, it's your duty to go and find out what's actually written about it, not to guess. And it's been called dangerous by mo- everybody who gets up there says it's dangerous. And, and of course, we sat through that famous hearing where Senator Estes looked right at us and said it was it's dangerous. Well, the word dangerous has been used before, and Colonel George Mason used that on September 15th when he said the plan just to have Congress in control, he thought that plan of amending the Constitution exceptional and dangerous. And he said that no amendments of the proper kind would ever be obtained by the people if the government should become oppressive, as he verily believed would be the case.
1: What I think, though, before you summarize, Paul, because I think this is an interesting discussion to have, is that when Colonel Mason used the words exceptional and dangerous, he didn't mean dangerous to our nation. What he meant was dangerous to those who would be trying to usurp the authority of the people. So, yes, Article 5, Exceptional, meaning brilliantly thought of that, yes, we have two ways to amend the Constitution and dangerous for those who get entangled within our federal structure and try to take over from a tyrannical perspective, usurping the power of the people. So it's not dangerous to you and me. It's dangerous to those on Capitol Hill who are refusing to listen to the will of the people. And I love that type of dangerous.
0: The whole point they made, and they... We argued this multiple times during the convention. People don't realize that the only mode being thought of to amend the Constitution was provided to the state legislatures. It was at really the last week in which Congress was added in, and for some reason the states were written out, and that's why Colonel Mason said, hey, wait a minute, we got to put that back in. But the point being that they had lived through a revolution, and you're right, it's dangerous because if you don't provide that civil mechanism, the only other option yeah. the people are going to take is violence, and they did not want that. They had lived through that themselves, and they wanted to provide us a peaceful, civil means to be able to course-correct a federal government out of control. That's what we are attempting to do. There's no disagreement among among either proponents or opponents about the language of Article 5. It does indeed authorize state legislatures to unilaterally initiate the amendment process. But the disagreement swirls around the contrast between risk and reward, and we've talked about that. There's fear, and they fear the risk. They hypothesize about unbelievably remote possibilities, improbable, and actually historically, legally un. Unprecedented that a convention can go wrong. Well, we argue that the risk is minimal. In fact, our argument would be the very worst thing that can occur is nothing happens. right, The worst thing that can happen yeah. is no amendments get proposed. That would be the worst thing that would happen. And even then, we'd have a great national discussion on what the structure of the government should be.
1: And, and can I and, add one thing as you're, you're, you're finishing? Because I think you actually hit on something really brilliant. Getting to convention, do you know what that does for our entire nation? It elevates a dialogue on the Constitution. And whether or not we get to answer this single most important question, not just during an election cycle, but every single day we wake up as Americans, and that is who decides. Do you and I decide, Paul, that we get to self-govern, or does Washington, D.C. get to decide our entire lives? Well, we've seen over the last... 50 years in particular, Washington, D.C., trying to gain like a cancer, absorbing more and more of these responsibilities and, and taking away our self-reliance and our independence and putting us more beholden to the government. And so you have actually stated it perfectly. that Who decides it should be us? And so the worst thing that would happen is that nothing happens, but the process. And I think this is what our founders intended. This would be hard work. This would take a lot of energy, a lot of time, and it would take a lot, of people coming together and elevating this national discussion on the Constitution for us to really say, wait a second, it is our country, we are self-governing, and we do get to decide for ourselves the kind of country we want to be. And that's a real exciting prospect.
0: We had a meeting last week with, with one of our state senators who was skeptical as we started the meeting, but he was very interested in learning about the process in detail. And when we walked through it and walked through the entire process, he had several times he commented that this This is really hard. He understood that it's difficult to do and he also understood there's no way it's going to get out of control. In fact, it's very likely, it's his opinion, it looked like it's very likely you're just not going to be able to get this done because it's so hard. But we didn't flinch. None of us at the table flinched when he said that. I think he believed, his eyes were opened and and you know what, you guys just aren't in it for the long haul. We told him we're in this for the long haul because... It's going to be an education process for years. It's good for the nation to go through that. It's really good for us to understand that we have the power to bring back and restore our constitutional republic. That is something that was given to us by the framers, and we need to not be fearful to use it. You know, as uh, Janine Turner said, I'm not afraid of the Constitution. I'm not afraid of Article 5. And we need to not continue in a state of fear. We need to trust. We need to trust the founders. We need to trust we the people. And we even need to trust our state legislators. They are often disenfranchised trustful of their own selves. We, we've heard that. I don't trust legislators, but I know that they trust some of the folks there. I, I think what, we, what happened on Thursday, a, a nationwide call To West Virginia I anticipate We're going to have More of those Because we're going to Need to start flexing Some of our Political capital And our muscle Around various states To try and drive The point home That we are in charge Of this process And they need To listen to us
1: I have a couple thoughts One is that I believe in the people Because Paul I know there are More of us Than there are Of just those Power hungry Corrupt Greedy Elitists On both sides Of the aisle Who think they know Better about our nation And what to do than you and I do. And it's factually incorrect and it's, what we're talking about, intellectually dishonest. Number two, what we are seeing and witnessing, this is an exciting time to be alive in the history of the United States of America and what we are seeing is a fear of irrelevant that's raising its ugly head because what happens when you educate people they suddenly become independent they learn how to think for themselves this is what God, this is why God wanted us to be able to make our own choices this is why our founders came put this in motion for us as the people to be able to make our own choices, decide for ourselves how to live our lives, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness are the only guarantees we have as being an American and so this fear of irrelevant is raising its ugly head from these groups, Eagle Forum types, John Birchers, and there's some other inside-the-beltway group that are opposing us as well. Why is this fear of irrelevance from the Eagle Forum in particular? Because what happens to the Eagle Forum right now, they get money, tens of millions of dollars from their supporters every single year. The Eagle Forum takes that money and uses that money to pay for candidates' campaigns. So what happens when you educate the people... and they realize they don't need Eagle Forum to be able to work directly with state legislators or their congressmen or their senators, that they actually can do it for themselves, and they do have the right answers and the right instincts. Eagle Forum dies off, goes away, and their money dries up, and they are fighting Right now Because of a fear Of irrelevance And after all The amazing things That they've been able To accomplish In what Phyllis Has helped do And promote In this nation It's really kind of A shame That the Eagle Forum Really I think Their best days Are behind them And they're winding down As an organization This is going to be Their lasting legacy That people are going To be left with Of a spirit Of fear and timidity And what I love Is from the grassroots That are working With Citizens for Self-Governance And the Convention Of States Project We are emboldened through solutions and the Constitution, a whole new multiple... Actually, generations of Americans To feel emboldened And empowered to work To be self-governing And to continue this nation And I, I just love that It inspires me every day, Paul For the people that we encounter And we talk with And we get emails from It's just like a huge Constitutional family And I just feel blessed And privileged to be part Of the Convention Estates project
0: Well, me as well Thank you uh, I appreciate you coming on This was a complete change of pace From what I had planned For this week But we react oftentimes to events on the ground, and I know that you have just been unbelievably busy with your work nationally, and I appreciate the time you've taken this morning to speak with us and to join us in our conversation. I anticipate, again, that we're going to be much more heavily involved, even than we've been before, in various states, trying to twist arms and convince folks, convince legislators, hey, you need to pay attention to us. You work for us. And nationally on this issue, you work for us. We have a right, West Virginia, to call you from Texas because this is a federal issue, and it affects me here in Texas. Right on. All right.
1: Great job, Paul.